to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So let's live our best lives one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. Hi, everybody. We are so glad you're here today. Welcome to episode 55 of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing good. It's been forever since we've talked. Yeah, our listeners don't know, we took two weeks off from recording. Jen had a busy life and <laughs> it feels like we took more than two weeks off. It feels like it has been a I really did a long lot time. of things. In between, I went to Myrtle Beach with my friends from college. We had like a little homecoming at the beach. Then I came home and started recording cleanish. Then I went to Tampa for six days. I came back and finished recording cleanish. Is that's crazy that we only skipped two weeks of recording. I know. I felt so out of touch with you. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I did some great arranging in my house, what do you call it, organizing. It was like I suddenly had free time. I didn't spend two days each week working on the podcast. I was like, huh, I'm going to get my house in order. So got my house in order, got my sauna up. Anybody who's in the Facebook group, they've seen a picture of it now, and I've been using it every day. I love it. I haven't had time. Isn't that crazy? Uh, now that the weather's getting colder, I mean, I've just had, well, I've had to get up and record the audiobook every day. So I haven't had time to get in the sauna before I take my shower. Although it might be crazy. Why do I need to take a shower before recording? But I just did. Well, I have to tell you, it's making me way more, I'm not a morning person, and I tend to just kind of like ease into my day and whatever happens, happens. But now I'm on a schedule because I have set it to run at a certain time. So I'm making myself get up in time to have a cup of coffee while it preheats. And I stand on my vibration plate and then I get in my sauna and then I get in the shower and like, I'm ready to start my day before 11 now or before I might still be sitting on the couch drinking coffee at 11. So I've been way more productive. I love it. It's a new habit that is like, and your skin is glowing. I think your skin looks more glowing. What do you think? I have noticed that too, but I have been cycling. I've been using like a detox program one day and I used weight loss and then I used the skin program, the anti-aging program. Now, I don't know if you can see this. I look like a 14-year-old. I had this eruption, two of them. And all of a sudden I was like, what is going on? Why is my skin breaking out? It never breaks out. And I was like, oh, I've been detoxing in the sauna for two weeks now. Well, it's true. In Cleanish, I have sauna use in the chapter on our body's self-cleaning, you know, what we can do, the tools we can use to encourage more self-cleaning. And sauna is in there. And it absolutely causes us to push out toxins. The research supports it. Yay, you're pr proof on your skin right there. So I want to take just a minute to talk about, since I talked about Cleanish, we are actually going to do a book study here on the podcast. So listeners, starting on our January 5th episode, that'll be our, the first Cleanish. So we're going to go through Cleanish together as a community. 
and we're going to go through it each. We're going to have, we're going to do every other week. It's not going to be like every week is cleanish, but we're going to starting, starting on the fifth, the even episodes starting on the fifth, the topics are going to be related to the topics that are in cleanish. So I, we chose that date on purpose because the cleanish release date is January 4th. So you will have your copy in your hands on January 4th. And no, we won't expect you to have it read by the 5th. <laughs> We're going to take it slow. This is not the kind of book you sit down and you read straight through. 100% no. You take it piece by piece, chapter by chapter, topic by topic. So on January 5th, so pre-order Cleanish community. This is what I want you to do. Pre-order. You're going to want the book, the real book, not the Kindle. Ver- I mean, okay, you can order the Kindle version if you want, if you like to read, you know, out on the go. But you're really going to want the paperback. Like, I promise you, you want the paperback for this one. You might also want the audiobook to listen to, but but the paperback is really important because there's things that you work through and you're going to want to have it on paper. It's a little workbook style. There's checklists, things to check in there. So you definitely want the paperback. So if you're only going to order one version of it, get the paperback. And, you know, if you also like to have a Kindle version, if you want to listen to it too, you know, that's fine. You won't regret having it, but you, I think, would regret not having the paperback. I think so as well. So go ahead, January 4th, pre-order it now while you're listening today. You know, don't just order it from Amazon. It actually helps bookstores. Like if you've got a local bookstore in your area, Go there and have them order it for you. They can do that or get it on Barnes and Noble. It's nice to have it from different places, not just all Amazon. So that's important. But you want to pre-order now, and that book will show up on your doorstep on January 4th. Then you will tune into episode 58 of this podcast. And like I said, you won't have been expected to do anything yet. But we'll talk about why, you know, why is this important? Why does cleanish matter? That'll kick off the book study. We're also going to have a deeper connection. If you're a member of the Delayed on Denied community and to find the Delayed on Denied community, go to jenstevens.com slash community. So if you're a member of that community, we're going to have a more in-depth book study where you can interact with me and we're going to work through the topics and you can ask me questions directly and we're going to share ideas. So that's just a deeper level. You know, right here on the podcast, it's going to be us talking about it and listeners submitting questions and things like that. But for the deeper connection, join the DDD community by going to jenstevens.com slash community. And I'm really excited about working through this together. Can you see my teacher coming out? I'm sorry. Like, like you can watch me. I'm like getting really excited and my probably my body language just changed. But I want to do Cleanish as a community like together. And the power is going to be all of us making these changes. And it's going to be January 4th and January 5th. And it's like we're setting ourselves up for a cleanish year. And Jen mentioned that we'll take listener questions. You'll submit those questions. I'll have a link. Well, I'll say I might just put a link on the website. On lifelessonscommunity.com. Okay. Why don't I do that? See, we're talking through this. This is how Jen and I work. I will put it on the website. I will also do some prompts and take uh, post the the questionnaires in the Life Lessons Facebook group. So if you're not a member of the Facebook group, go ahead and join that if you want to participate. And for each week's episode, I'll have a prompt with a questionnaire. But for the the actually connecting with me and talking to me about it, you'll need to be in the DDD community at jenstevens.com slash community. I'm really excited about leading the community through the book study. 
because I think that's going to be powerful for all of us. And, you know, I keep making changes too. It's a process. This is not like you're going to go and throw everything away and now you're done. No, it's a process and it's learning the why and then the how and then and then make the doing. You know, we're not just buying a book and putting it on our shelf and like, okay, no, we're going to work through it and we're going to change things in a positive way. And I will say this is a lifestyle change that you're going to implement bit by bit. And the first part of it is just opening up your mind to it and, you know, like really learning about why it's important. And then bit by bit, you're going to start to identify areas in your life that you need to make some changes in based off of your beliefs and values and what's important to you, because we're not going to tell you what you should do. We're just going to present the information and then you choose how you apply that to your life. Yep. You create your definition of cleanish eating, your definition of cleanish living, all of that. And it, But it's your personal empowered definition. But what Jen and I do know is when you're making a lifestyle change, community can be very, very important. It's really a powerful tool for like helping you commit to a shift and then supporting you as you do that. Because if you tell your friend down the street what you're doing and they don't understand it, you know, they might try to talk you out of it or they'll tell you it's not important or it's hogwash or whatever. So it's really important to be with like-minded people and discussing these things with like-minded people anytime that you are making a lifestyle change. And that's what I'm so excited about because we're going to be doing it together And so that will make it more powerful for everybody, including me, you know, and I can't wait to to lead y'all through it, but also be an active participant in the process. But again, that part's going to be going in the DDD community. Go to jenstevens.com slash community to find that community and pre-order the cleanish. You're going to want it because we're going to be talking about it. It's just, you know, like I just read it for Audible. So I went back through it again and it's just some of the stuff that I learned while writing it blew my mind. It's, it's when I switched to beauty counter, right? It's when, I, it's when I changed everything I clean with. But those weren't expensive changes. They weren't hard changes. And my skin looks better. My house smells cleaner. I mean, it's just a process you enjoy. Do you know, um, I would have never thought a year and a half ago, notice I straightened my hair today and I put a little hairspray on it to keep it from getting frizzy. And as I sprayed it, it smelled very much like perfumey. And I was like, gosh, what is in my hairspray? I need to find a clean hairspray. (laughs) I changed my hairspray to a clean hairspray that I found on an environmental working group app. And it's, you know, a little more specialty. You have to find it like Chad can find it. I say, go find this. And he brings it home. So and it doesn't have the smell. And when I changed it, he's like, you smell different. I'm like, yep, changed my hairspray. Well, now it is time for our weekly good news segment. Each week, we share a good news story from around the world or give a customer service shout out to a company that provided exceptional customer service as shared by a listener. But today, I want to give my own customer service shout out. Last week, uh, we took a break from recording the podcast, as we mentioned, and I visited one of my very best friends in Southern Missouri. And I actually have two friends that live in Southern Missouri. So I stopped at one on the way to the second one, spent some time with her. She lives in Springfield, Missouri. She lives downtown in this really cool little area and you can walk to different restaurants and there's a brewery district. So we went and had dinner and then she took me to this brewery nearby for an after dinner drink. Now I've lived in Kansas City most of my life and then I moved to Denver. So we've got the home of barbecue in Kansas City and Denver is the home of craft beer. 
And so she was like, you've got to go to this brewery. They serve both beer and barbecue. So we sat there, we caught up, just had a wonderful beer, and we started chatting to the bartender. Her name was Jen. Jay, not Jen, Jen. <laughs> not me. It was not me. I was not the bartender, although that would be fun. I was a bartender briefly. And well, you know, I used to attend bar to brewery in Denver. Like it's, you, you call it bartending, but it's just beer. So it's pretty easy. Don't ask me to make mixed drinks other than Serenity now. So anyways, they were getting ready. We All of a sudden, it was it was very early. It wasn't even 8 o'clock. We noticed they were putting chairs on tables. And I said, are you guys are you guys closing? And they said, yeah, we close early during the week. And so we were trying to like hurry up and finish up. And she's like, don't rush. Don't rush. Just take your time. We're going to be here for a while. We got to clean. No big deal. So somehow we started talking. The funny thing was, so she dates a guy who works there. And we're talking. And I don't even know what we're talking about. And he said you have a very soothing voice. I could listen to you talk all day. And I started laughing and I'm like, what? And uh, my friend Sandy said, well, that's a good thing because she has a podcast and she does talk to people all the time. So I just sat there and talked to Jen. She was super sweet and we had a great conversation and went home. And the next day before I left town to go to my other friend's house, I thought, you know, I'm going to go down there and try out their barbecue. I don't like to go to places alone. That's my thing. But I thought, you know, I went down there. They were real friendly. I'll just go sit and have a little barbecue and, and then head out of town. Well, Jen was there and she came up and talked to me. Anybody who has ever eaten out with me knows that I am to steal Jen's sweatshirt slogan, a complicated order. I take my food very seriously and I don't order anything the way it comes on the menu. So she took all my requests in stride. Do you remember that when Harry met Sally? Do you remember that movie, When Harry Met Sally? It has been so long since I've seen that movie. Well, the way that Sally ordered her food, I mean, this was, I was in college. I can remember. I was a sophomore in college. One of my friends came home to the dorm from seeing the movie. I hadn't seen it yet. She's like, oh my God, Sally orders like you, Jen. This is when I was in college. So, you know, I'm like way worse now. When I went back home to Kansas City, my friend said, I just realized why your food always comes out wrong. She's like, you never order anything the way it's on the menu. And I'm like, well, menus are made to be changed. So she was great. She took all my requests. They brought out my food. It was amazing. They did everything like I asked them to do. And even the chef came out and talked to me. He was super friendly and nice. And then she introduced me to the owner and the brewer. And she was just like, by the time I left, like she kept running around introducing me to people like I was somebody special. And I'm just like, I'm just a girl who likes beer and barbecue. She was just super sweet. And, you know, she they gave us some stickers and she like invited me to come back. She followed the podcast by the time I left there. I introduced her to intermittent fasting. Anyways, if you are ever in the Springfield, Missouri area, I cannot stress enough, go visit Lost Signal Brewing Company. It is an old AM radio station. And so that's why it's called Lost Signal. It's still got the radio tower on top, top and all their beers are named like radio terminology and stuff. But um, they have hand fried pickles, amazing poutine. It's great. It's fun. Go there. Say hey to Jen. Tell her Sherry from Life Lessons said hi. They were great. That was a good story. I had fun. I know. I'm like sad that I wasn't there. Well, you know, I don't <laughs> get out much. 
And, you know, there's nothing worse than like going traveling somewhere and you don't know anybody and you kind of feel out of place. But to go and talk to somebody and then they're just like welcoming. And I've just been on two trips where I didn't know anybody before I went. You know, I went to the the thing in um, Arizona. I didn't know a per- single person there. And I left, you know, with with people I'd connected with. And then I this thing I went to in Tampa, it was the same crowd, but a smaller version of that same crowd. And they just included me. And and some of these people have been working together for years, and they were amazing. And so it's just, people are great. That's what I've learned. People are great, and people want to connect with other people. So don't be afraid to go somewhere by yourself. Because I was by myself, and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to embrace it. But then people are fabulous. So, Well, listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. Before we get to the life lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that helps us bring you the podcast. Today, I want to talk about a meal delivery company that I've used on and off for years. And as you know, convenience is important to me when it comes to groceries and cooking, but I do not want to sacrifice taste or quality. So uh, my husband and I took some time off from Home Chef as Eric and I kind of went in separate directions with not only our eating styles, but also just uh, our meal timing. We weren't eating meals at the same time together. So I kind of got away from cooking like family style meals. But now that he's home and he's not working and uh, we're eating dinners together again, we have gone back to enjoying some Home Chef dinners together. The meals are um, not quite so exotic as some of the meal delivery companies out there so that my husband would turn his nose up at it. There are some companies that he's just like, no. I'm a much more adventurous eater than he is, but they provide enough variety and veggies to keep me happy. Most of the meals are relatively quick to prepare, some in as little as 15 minutes. Often I'll order a vegetarian option and then just add my own butcher box meat from the freezer. And they also have oven-ready meals, which are great for my husband, so that I have quick meals to throw together for him on my work nights. Best of all, I feel so much better knowing that Eric is not eating processed frozen food. Did you know that I I send a box to Will every week of Home Chef? Did you know that I do that? Yes. I still do it. Every Monday, Will gets a box from Home Chef. You know he's not eating corn dogs and ramen. Yep. Although it's a funny story. He was staying with us for a while briefly. Something was going on at his house. So he was staying here. And so we I had him bring his box over. And he's like, I'll cook this one. And he had thrown away the recipe cards, which why, I don't know, but he's winging it. And of course, that's the name of his band, Wing It. So that's kind of how he lives his life. But it was a pasta where, you know, what do you do with onions, raw onions? What do you do? Yeah, dice them up. And then? Saute them. Right. Well, no, Will was like, he put them, all the sauce in the pan, and then he put raw. And I'm like, what are you doing? So I like think he's over there learning how to cook. And he is not. I don't know what he's doing. If he follows, I thought you were going to tell me that he boiled them with the pasta or something. Well, no, but he put raw onions. He put the sauce in first and then the raw onions. And I'm like, that is not how you do it. You got to read the card. So anyway, hopefully he's doing a better job with reading the card. But I was like so proud he was learning to cook. No, but the cards are so easy that if you read them, you would not make a mistake. They literally, if you've never done mail delivery, they send you these cards and it's step one. 
I mean, down to wash the produce. <laughs> and then they tell you how thick to dice things. So it's all right there. So my husband loves risotto, loves it. And so this week we ordered Italian sausage pepper risotto. And that is what I'm making when we finish here today. And then he gets some spicy nacho turkey meatloaf, which is totally his style. And uh, so Home Chef's just a great fit for our family. They really do have something for everyone. You can save $35 on your first order by using the code SherryB500, or you can follow the link in show notes. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we are going to talk with Dr. Abigail Lev, a licensed clinical psychologist and author of three books about how we can create long-lasting behavior changes in order to lead deeper, more meaningful lives. Dr. Abby's mission is to provide people with tools to choose the actions and behaviors that express their deepest wishes using an acceptance and mindfulness approach. Welcome, Dr. Abby. We're so glad to have you here with us. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So if you would, just tell our listeners a little bit about you, your background, and um, then just kind of lead into the work that you do. Sure. I do cognitive behavioral therapy, and I'm the director of the Bay Area CBT Center, and also the founder of CBT Online. And we offer, I work with a group of therapists, and we offer evidence-based treatments and also on CBT Online, we offer a mindfulness audio and worksheets, webinars, online courses, so that if you don't want to work with a therapist, you want to do your own self-improvement, you could do that on your own on CBT Online. Oh, that sounds great. So it's just cbtonline.com? Yes. Got it. We'll have a link in the show notes to that. So I know cognitive behavioral therapy. Everybody's heard that. It sounds a little intimidating. Tell, Just break it down briefly. What is it? Explain it. The main difference between cognitive behavioral therapy and regular talk therapy is the idea about what leads to change. So psychoanalytic therapists, uh, they believe that we can, that insight alone can lead to behavioral change, that we could bring the unconscious into the conscious and that leads to change. Uh, behavioral therapists, we believe that there's more than insight alone that leads, leads to real lasting change. So we all have the experience of, you know, knowing that something we're doing is not working, having insight about a habit that we're stuck in, and yet still being unable to change it. So cognitive behavioral therapy is more directive. It's more active. There's experiential exercises. And the theory underlying it is that we have uh, thoughts, feelings, and sensations, and, and memories, and, and our conditioning that leads us to doing particular behaviors that we've learned in early childhood and throughout our lives. And cognitive behavioral therapy uses certain exercises and techniques to help people relate differently with their thoughts, their feelings, and their internal experiences so that those have less influence on the behaviors that they do. What a great explanation. That was fantastic. So like in my head, and maybe I think of it wrong. So I'm going to explain to you how I think of it in my head. And then maybe you can tell me if I'm on the right track or if maybe I perceive it wrong. So the way I think about it is like we're very habitual people and that we have these habits and our thoughts are habits. So we have like these habitual thoughts that go through our head. 
And so I kind of think of it as like you learn new ways of thinking and reacting to stimuli and you sort of reprogram your thoughts. Is that kind of a summary of what happens? I think that that is a good summary, although underneath the cognitive behavioral therapies umbrella, there are many different kinds of therapies that fall under cognitive behavioral therapies. So for example, dialectical behavior therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, schema therapy, exposure therapy, and each of them, and cognitive therapy, each of them will have a little bit of a different theory or way of approaching this. So if you're taking a more cognitive approach, then you're working on reprogramming your thoughts. And if you're taking a more mindfulness approach, you're working on changing your relationship to those thoughts. But the the idea is when you're a very behavioral therapist, the idea is that it's quite difficult to just reprogram a thought. When we have a core belief, I work with schemas. Schemas are core beliefs in relationships and at work. And these core beliefs bring up, when we get triggered, they bring up automatic thoughts, feelings, and sensations. It's very difficult to change these automatic thoughts. But if you could help people do different behaviors with those automatic thoughts, we end up disconfirming these core beliefs, and then the beliefs shift. So actually, it's doing different behaviors in a hierarchy very slowly that helps reprogram core beliefs. Because core beliefs are quite... Um, ingrained? Ingrained. That is the exact word I'm looking for. I was going to say sticky, but that didn't feel quite right. But <laughs> they stick there. They're ingrained and they're very sticky. And the dilemma is that we've learned to do certain behaviors so that, for example, if I have an abandonment schema and I believe people will abandon me, I may have learned certain behaviors to cope with this belief. And then I may become really clingy or seek excessive reassurance. Where have you been? Are you with someone else? Where are you? I may attack. You're the worst. Are you cheating on me? And then I do these behaviors that end up confirming the very thing that I'm fearing. So you said you work with schemas. And you also mentioned uh, relationships at work and home. So you pretty much, you focus a lot on relationships and improving interpersonal relations. So this gets sticky in the fact that it takes two people to have a relationship. So one person working on their side of that, is that enough to significantly improve a dysfunctional relationship? Usually that is enough to improve a relationship, but it depends on whether the other person is a willing participant. So if the other person is a willing participant, often the whole relationship will change because, for example, somebody who has an abandonment schema, they may get into a relationship with somebody who confirms their own beliefs. They may get into a relationship with somebody who has a subjugation schema. So if you have a subjugation schema, you're feeling engulfed in a relationship. And if you have an abandonment schema, you feel like you're going to be abandon in a relationship. And so both of these people maintain this dynamic, a pursuer distancer dynamic. So if the pursuer stops pursuing, the distancer will feel less engulfed. And if the distancer stops distancing, the person who's pursuing will feel less abandoned. So you can have one person be able to make a big debt in the dynamic of a relationship. But there are certain circumstances where you don't have a willing participant 
And therefore, even when you're engaging in new behaviors, you may still be unhappy in the relationship. One exercise that I have partners do, if I'm working with a couple, I'll have them write down all of their core values, what they want to be about in a relationship. For example, being honest, being kind, uh, being appreciative, being collaborative, being trustworthy. And I'll make them rate themselves from zero to 100. Like how consistent have your behaviors been this week with these values? And then I'll make them rate their partner. Uh, How consistent have your partner's behavior been with these values? Now, what you could notice if you're rating both yourself and your partner very low on these values, it's going to be very difficult for you to change this relationship, to walk away from the relationship. So let's say I'm being honest at a 40% out of 100 and my partner is being honest at a 20% out of 100. I'm being trustworthy at a 20% out of 100 and my partner is being trustworthy at a 20% out of 100. Or I'm being assertive at a 30 and they're being assertive at a 40. Now, the dilemma is that I'm really not going to be able to leave this relationship. I'm always going to be wondering, is it me or is it my partner? Is it that I'm not doing enough or is it that this is the wrong relationship for me? Now, if I help partners realize first, just focus on your own values. Get yourself up to 80s or 90s on your own values for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. What will usually happen if I'm kind at a 90%, I'm a collaborative at a 92%. I'm assertive at a 92%. I'm being honest at a 90%. Often what will happen in a willing relationship is that the other person will also become more honest, more appreciative, more collaborative, more kind. So they'll just naturally rise to meet the level of what they're being given. If they don't naturally rise, then you have the information that it isn't you. This relationship is not changeable. And at least you have some information. And then you need to leave the relationship because you have a paper after paper after paper showing what you do in this relationship does not impact your partner, does not influence them, and does not make a debt in a relationship. And therefore, right. So would you say that it's more helpful to go through it together, to do something as a couple if you're really trying to make the relationship work long term? When two people can understand the way that their core beliefs impact the other one and the way that it maintains the whole system, it's much easier to change these kinds of habits and patterns in relationships. What would you say to somebody who says, you know, I really want to improve my relationship. Like, I don't think we communicate well. We're not on the same page. It was funny when you were talking about values in a relationship and you listed off some values. Like I could like visualize what my husband's list would look like and what my list would look like. And they would be very different. So like at one point, do you try to mesh those? Like, does that make sense? That makes complete sense. That's exactly what I do. We look at each person's values, and then we create a list of shared values. So if you have a person who's just resistant, they're like, nope, I'm not doing that. I don't believe in it. I don't want to do it, whatever, whatever their reason is. Just by um, one person starting to do some therapy and uh, maybe just identifying what their needs and wants are, and then them altering their behavior in a relationship. Like, do you think that can significantly impact the relationship where even if the party who's not involved 
if they really truly want the relationship, but they just don't want the therapy, do you see that, you know, most people are able to start to adapt to the changes in relationship or do people tend to naturally resist that? People are used to homeostasis, even if homeostasis is not comfortable. So all of us tend to have a little bit of resistance towards change because change is scary. Like our schemas cause us a lot of pain, but our schemas also create this false sense of safety or certainty or predictability in the world. And so it's difficult to do new behaviors. Now, everything is on a spectrum. So your partner's ability to, I guess, improve when you improve depends on a lot of factors. So it's like if the partner wants to be in the relationship and wants the relationship to get better, but they don't want to be in therapy, I could see this person still changing. But if the partner is benefiting from the dynamic, they don't really have an incentive to change. So I'll give you an example. If somebody has a self-sacrifice schema, this is a core belief that if you put your needs above others, you're selfish or you feel guilty. And so the belief is other people's needs are more important than mine. And this person, it is with someone who has an entitlement schema. The person with an entitlement schema, their core belief is my needs are more important than others. So they're on the opposite side of the same coin. So this couple continues to confirm each other's beliefs, right? This, the system is maintained. Now the dilemma, so there's other schemas where people are both have an incentive to change. If two people are unhappy in a relationship, they both have a huge incentive to change. So if one partner is being kinder and more collaborative, the other one also will want to be kinder and more collaborative. But then there are certain systems that are different. So in this particular system, the person who has an entitlement schema has been getting their way in the relationship for a long time. They don't have an incentive for this dynamic to change. It's working for them. So now we have a situation where one person is like, I'm all right with you, you know, doing the dishes and we do whatever I want and things go my way. Like the system is benefiting one person. The other person is not happy. And in that particular system, the dilemma is the person with the self-sacrifice schema or the person that's unhappy in the relationship comes into therapy wanting their partner to change. But in this kind of system, the person who's unhappy in the relationship needs to change. They need to become more assertive. They need to give self-care consequences. They need to make the system not benefit the other person for the other person to have an incentive to change. I was just going to say, in two of your examples... You mentioned really like opposites that kind of feed off each other, like the self-sacrificing and the entitlement. They're opposites who have found each other in this twisted way. It's like, quote, working for them, except that it isn't. But do you find that that's really common in relationships that, you know, we've all heard opposites attract, but people will have like one issue and they'll find someone who has like the opposite issue. So they're kind of feeding each other in that. I do find that that is common. And what's interesting is that when opposites attract, you know, there's two pathways. There's the pathway of being able to heal these old wounds and having a person that most likely relates an early childhood relationship. So you have an opportunity to do something different with a similar experience. And then the other path is you could continue to confirm each other's negative experiences and just dig deeper into the wound. 
Yeah, I just wondered because two examples that you gave, it was the opposites like that. And I was like, well, that's interesting. I wonder if that's really common. And it wouldn't surprise me <laughs> to hear that, hear that it is. Like another example of opposites would be somebody who has a perfectionism schema with someone who has a failure schema. But in this type of dynamic, one person does not have more incentive than the other. And so actually in this dynamic, one person changing can change the system more. There's more influence. It's not really feeding the other person's schema. So I guess my question is, okay, so you say people come into this with this schema, right? Like, I'm just thinking from personal, my husband hates when I talk about him, but (laughs) he has abandonment issues. I am a very, I'm a social butterfly. I want to be on the go. I love to travel. I want, you know, if something comes up, I want to be like, hey, I'm taking off. I'm going to go do this for a couple of days. And then he instantly gets agitated and upset and angry. You're leaving me. You always leave me. I mean, like I work in town over an hour away and I stay in town when I work and then I come back home when I'm not at work. And he's always like, you leave me every weekend to go to work. I'm like, I'm not leaving you. I'm going to work. (laughs) I'll be back Monday morning. So I find myself like sort of catering to him a little bit, but then I get angry at myself because I've done that. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with me. I shouldn't have to be more diminutive to like appease him. Is that a dangerous cycle to get into? And like, how do you like be true to yourself without causing further like hurt to the person who is wounded? Does that make sense? It's a really fine balance because what you want to do is you want to soothe your partner And you want to take care of their needs and you want to be a willing participant and collaborative in helping them feel safer. But you don't want to reward the behaviors that you want to decrease. So what that means is that you want to ask your partner what they need to feel better about you leaving. Maybe it's having more phone calls. Maybe it's knowing when you're coming back. Maybe it's sending little texts like, I love you, I miss you. You want to be really clear on what you could do to make them feel better, but you don't want to do these things when they're doing behaviors that you want to decrease. So if they're attacking you, if they're blaming you, if they're becoming abusive, those are not moments to go, tell me what you're needing. What are you feeling? I want to help you. Those are moments to go, I want to take care of you. Like right now you're calling me names or you're attacking me. So I'm going to take a 20-minute timeout, but I do want uh, to help you feel safe around this. I don't want you to feel abandoned or hurt. And I'd like for us to talk about how we could do this in a way that feels safer for you. As soon as they do a behavior that you don't want to reward, it's really important not to reward it. Does that make sense? You know, we'll talk about this later when when everything is calmed down a little bit or when we're we're able to talk clearly, maybe something like that. De-escalate and stop it, move away. And you want to make sure that you're being really clear on what is the behavior that they're doing that is making you take that space. And then when they're not doing that behavior, when they're being effective, if they're saying feelings and needs, I feel scared because you're going to be away. That's a moment to reward that and to really collaborate with them because they're being effective and you don't want them to feel bad. If they're going, you're a selfish jerk, I can't believe you're leaving me, then you have to say something like, I really want to help you through this. I love you. And I want us to come up with a strategy that makes you feel safer. And I know we could do that. 
but not if you're calling me names or blaming me or accusing me. So I know you talk a little about the overachiever. And I know we have men that listen to our podcasts. And so I try not to make this all women related. But I do know that women tend to feel perfectionism, overachieving, like that you want to do it all, right? I'm a woman, I can do it all. I can be the mom, the wife, the worker, the the PTA leader, the, you know, the best neighbor in the world. How often is that? I mean, like, is that a result of conditioning? that we have, like, this is something that we perpetuate on our children generation after generation? Or is this societal? Or is this an internal hurt that was never healed? I was an elementary teacher for 28 years. And I think a lot of it is that we teach our girls to be good little girls. You know, and we we raise them up like that, oh, be a good little girl. And so then we learn that whole oh, I've got to be a good little girl. And then you grow up and you're like, well, you know, and I think we start it with them young, just from what I've seen with kids. What do you think about that, Dr. Abby? I think that it's all of those things that you mentioned, right? It's like all of these factors play a role in the manifestation of this. So it's epigenetic, right? We teach girls to be good little girls. We also punish them when they're not being good little girls. We reward them in certain ways when they're being good little girls. And evolutionarily speaking, the good little girls have survived to reproduce. So if we're thinking about the 40s and the 30s, when women were more dependent on their partner for voting and having housing and resources, the women that survived to reproduce, like there's research that shows that women tend to internalize more and men tend to externalize. So it makes sense that the women who have survived to reproduce have been able to perfect this strategy when there's a problem in the relationship to go, what have I done wrong? What do I need to do? As opposed to going, what did you do? I'm pissed off. You must be a jerk. So it's like an epigenetic cycle of conditioning, both in the moment when we're getting punished and rewarded for what society expects of us and through evolution of what qualities have survived to reproduce. That's fascinating. I've never thought of it in that way before. I haven't either. You know, and you've got a phrase you call an insecure overachiever. Tell us about that insecure overachiever because I kind of resonate with that a little bit, right? Wanting to always do more, but not quite knowing if you're doing enough or doing it right. What would you say? It's interesting because my practice is in the Bay Area and therefore I work with a lot of people in, in, in tech and in huge organizations and I get a sense of that system and I really notice this pattern where there's a lot of competition and insecurity and expectation to be working like 70 hours a week and very unrealistic standards and expectations in the way that people continue to maintain those norms in the system and how difficult it is to get my clients to be a little bit more flexible with that. Uh, and then it was really interesting because I saw this article on the insecure overachiever and the article was stating that there are organizations that are specifically looking to hire people who show these qualities because you need less incentive, right? You, in order to get them to do the work, to work 70 hours a week. And so these people have had, you know, childhood experiences where it's almost like an addiction. They're addicted, their self-worth 
is invested in in achieving and doing well and succeeding. Like praise. Exactly. and So it basically, that makes a lot of sense. So these companies have figured out that if you hire these people, they've got that insecurity, so they're not quite sure of their worth, but they will work themselves to the bone to prove it to you. So they're like going to be, it makes sense that they would be like attractive employees, right? Absolutely, because they, they're not the ones that you have to go who's willing to do this extra work and you don't have to pick them out. They'll be the ones going, me, 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 I'll do it. And then if you have a bunch of me, 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 going, I'll do it, then it grows, right? Because you're working more and more and, and it becomes more normal to do more. It's the culture. Well, and I'm just thinking over the last, you know, 20 years or so, maybe even 30 years, like I don't feel like it was this way back, you know, when I was in high school, I graduated from high school in 1991. But through the late 90s, early 2000s, up until now, we are pushing our kids so much more to achieve so much. They are all in this club and that club. And it's not enough to just participate in debate. You need to win debates and you need to take state and, you know, people want all of these achievements and accomplishments to put on their college applications and this and that. So, I mean, in one way I could see how we are just pushing our kids from a very young age now to achieve, 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 achieve. And I could see how that could lead to these people going into the workplace now. And they're still constantly trying to climb, climb, climb in that manner. It's really sad, right? Because then we are creating this idea that love is conditional. It it makes sense for us to want to achieve because it's very practical. We do something and we do something the right way and then we can have a reward and it's very, you know, our dopamine gets uh, increased and it's just very practical. But with unconditional love, it's harder to, right, like hold. It's not as, it's more ambiguous but that is more long lasting. That's, and so it's very sad that, and it's interesting too, because I have a schema questionnaire on my website. So if you go to cbtonline.com or bayareacbtcenter.com and you take a schema questionnaire, you could see what schemas you have. And the most common schema is perfectionism. It's unrelenting standards. So you're putting a level of expectations on yourself that are unrealistic and unachievable, and you end up always feeling like a failure, always feeling not good enough. It's an addiction. The more you do, uh, you know, you win a Nobel Prize, you want another Nobel Prize. It just never feels enough. You know, that makes me think back to something my son said when he was in high school, and he was a fabulous trombone player. He was like first chair all-state band trombone player. Amazing. He made it to Allstate Band every year. And one day I said to him, you know, you're you're so good at the trombone. You're amazing. He's like, mama, I'm state class. I'm not world class. And I'm like, what? Where did that come from? But it's just what you said. It was, you know, it's like, well, yeah, but on the bigger stage, I'm not number one in the world. You know, why do we, why do our kids get this message? Because I, I hope I didn't make him feel that way, but. It's global, right? It's on the macro level. It's on the micro and the macro. But one reason that I really love working with values is because values are different from goals. And when we're able to think about values, we're, we're able to have more distance from these achievements. So a value is more about the journey and the achievement is more about the destination. So if you want to win a Nobel Prize, the question is, 
what do you want to be about during that process? Like when I was going to school, I want to be a doctor. I want to see clients. I want to be a psychotherapist. But what do I want to be about? What kind of psychotherapist do I want to be about? I want to be transparent. I want to be honest. I want to be collaborative. I want to be fair. I want to be equal. You know, I want to be genuine. And so when we could move away from the goals and move into the process, the journey and the values, we have more space. We have more distance from achievements and we have more meaning and purpose. It's so funny. That took me, your conversation about your son and the trombone just took me back to my daughter. I figured it was my daughter in high school. When she was in high school, she was on the debate team in her freshman year. She joined debate after very, just a few weeks, her debate coach called me and said, she is exceptional. Where does she get this? And I'm like, I, I don't know. She's argued her whole life. So I used to always tell her, you need to be an attorney because you love to argue. And she, they took her to some tournament because somebody didn't show up. So it was way above her level. She shouldn't have been there, but they pulled her and had her go. She went to this debate. They took gold. She came home. She quit debate. And I said, what are you doing? You're so good at it. She's like, yeah, I already got the medal. Why would I continue? And like, as a mom, I was so like, I don't understand, but you're so good at it. Why would you keep doing it? And to her, I guess her end goal was be the best. I'm the best. Now I'm done moving on. And it's such an interesting thought process. It is because on one level, it's really rewarding. But on another level, in the long run, it's an addiction because uh, pleasure comes and goes. We have no control over the pleasure and pain we get in life. Life is full of suffering, unfortunately. But we always have 100% control over our values. If I win a tournament or I lose a tournament, It's not so much in my control. If I'm being kind to the people I'm with or I'm being mean to them, it's always 100% in my control. And so we have more of a sense of an internal locus of control and more groundedness when we could be in the process as opposed to the outcome. That's huge. So it's just changing what you're focusing on, focusing on yourself, your behaviors, the way you are living up to the characteristics that you deem to be important in a person who is living a good life. I'm a strong believer that we're deeply interconnected and we could just have a huge impact on each other. We could even notice from the pandemic, right? Somebody in China decided to play with a bat and look where the whole world was impacted by it. And I think it's a really interesting lesson. It's like, if me as an individual, if I make it matter to be kind, or as a woman, if I make it important to be assertive, I'm giving permission for all the other women to be assertive. I'm giving permission and I'm modeling for everybody else how to be kind, how to be compassionate. So I think um, there's something really beautiful about noticing that the more that we move towards a value and the more we prioritize the process, everybody, everybody benefits. So real quick, we have a few minutes left. I'm really curious on your website. I don't remember where I read it now. There was this uh, sentence that says, let yourself feel more angry so you can stop feeling angry. Tell us about that. People are afraid to experience strong emotion. So I think people shy away from it. So tell us how that's helpful. Well, the dilemma with anger is that it grows and grows the more we suppress it. There's a difference between feeling angry and being aggressive. And often we're afraid that if we're going to feel anger, we're going to be aggressive. And if we learn how to feel our anger, process our anger, and then use it for what 
it's meant for like anger. I believe every emotion is a function. The function of anger is to have self-respect, to know where our line is, where our boundary is, and when somebody's crossed our line. And so if we could see it as a guide and as a barometer for what we're needing in a relationship, then we could use our anger as a way to set a boundary or set a limit or make a request to be assertive if create change. But if we're repressing our anger and we're not using it as a guide, we tend to then, it's like a balloon that's about to pop. We just get angrier and angrier and it feels more out of control. We're more likely to be aggressive if we're not feeling our anger. And we're less likely to be aggressive when we're listening to our anger, noticing where is it in our bodies? What is it like? What is it telling us about what we're needing? Really honoring it and respecting it. So in, in it's not pushing it down, but it's letting it serve its purpose. Because when you push it down, that's when you end up with an explosion later, right? Absolutely. An explosion. I call myself a venter. I'm a venter. And if I get really upset about something, I just have to get it out, right? I just have to get it out. Whoever's in the room, I'm going to be like, this just made me so frustrated or I'm so angry about this or I'm so annoyed by this. And then I get it out and then like, that's it. I'm done. But if I don't have a like a avenue to get it out, then I'm like, I ruminate. And all day I'm like, that that really annoyed me. But the minute I can just verbalize it and just, it's gone. Poof. It has no power anymore. I feel exactly the same. And it's really powerful because it works for the other person too. So if somebody else is really angry, no matter how angry they are, if you validate their feelings, they will just calm down. So it doesn't mean validating their behaviors. If they're screaming and yelling and punching you, you don't go, wow, you're really angry. You don't want to validate abusive behaviors. But if somebody's feeling angry and they're expressing it appropriately, then you do want to validate it. Like the worst thing to say to someone who's angry or anxious is calm down, calm down, because they're going to get angry. Yeah, that never works. But if you say, wow, it makes sense to be really angry right now. You must be infuriated. You just see their whole body change, all their mannerisms. They're just calmer. It's so funny that you said that something happened at work and it was the silliest thing. I was standing in line at the time clock and we're all lined up, right? There's like seven or eight of us and there's a bunch of nurses in front of me and we're like waiting to that time where you can hit the time clock. And I've been standing there in line. And then this girl walked in the door and she looked at me in line and she just stepped in front of me and clocked out before me. And of course, I'd worked 14 hours and I was tired and it's seven o'clock in the morning and I'm grumpy. And I got so angry that I like I wanted to say something, but I was like, that wouldn't be appropriate. Shut your mouth. And I get in my truck and my husband calls me and he said, what's the matter? I said, I'm so mad. I was standing in line. This girl just got in front of me and clocked out in front of me like I wasn't standing there like I don't matter. And he said, she doesn't care. She's not upset. I don't know why you're upset. <laughs> that was not the right thing to say to me. <laughs> 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 then I just got mad at him. And later I said, you know what? I really just needed you to say, yeah, I bet that was really frustrating. Yeah, she sounds awful. You, she, you, you just needed him to validate the way you were feeling. That's all I needed. Yeah. I tell people the magic sentence is it makes sense. Like it makes sense that you feel this. It makes sense that you need that. It makes sense that I feel this. It makes sense that I need that. That it makes sense. It's just magical. All right. So we are almost out of time. I see that you have three books. 
Tell us about your three books and how people can find them and find you. I have Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Interpersonal Problems, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Couples, and then there's the Interpersonal Problems Workbook, and you could find them all on Amazon. And all of them involve using schemas and acceptance and commitment therapy. It's a combination of treatments to help people have better and stronger relationships. Listeners, I will put links and show notes for those. And then also, real quick, you have a couple workshops on your website. You want to just go over those super fast? Sure. I have some webinars about healing from narcissistic abuse, about nonviolent communication. So doing role plays and teaching people how to be able to recognize their feelings and needs and assert themselves, give self-care consequences. I have a couple of webinars. I have one about bipolar disorder and perfectionism, lots of different things. Yeah, I poked around and it was a great site with a lot of really great resources. And I love that you do online therapy and couples therapy. And it was just, yeah, fabulous. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here with us today. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was a lot of fun. Before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that helps us bring you the podcast. And today I want to talk about LifePro Fitness. You guys have heard me talk about LifePro before. I can't even tell you. I just love this company. Number one, they stand behind their products like 100%. Once you buy one of their products, you get to go to their VIP Facebook page that they have and you know, you join a lot of Facebook pages for companies and there's a lot of complaining, like this didn't turn out and this didn't work and you didn't call me back and you didn't know. I see their members all day long that are like, hey, I had a problem with this and I contacted you and you made it right and it came today and I appreciate you standing behind your products. 100% they stand behind their products. Most of their products have a lifetime guarantee on them. And Joel is one of the founders. He is amazing. Have I ever told you how I connected with him? I don't know how you connected with Joel. He just sent me an email just out of the blue. Because I guess somehow he heard from Delayed on Deny that I talked about having a vibration plate. So he was just like, you have a vibration plate. I would like to send you mine. I do remember that now. And I can remember I was talking to him. It was when I turned 50 and I was at Myrtle Beach. And I remember I was at, you know, that little gift shop in Myrtle's Inlet that has the alligator out front. I was there standing on the porch talking to Joel. (laughs) And it was the first time we talked. And he's like, would you like for me to send you one for free? And then he sent it and it took up so much less space than the one I had that I like gave my other one away. Like it was a stand up one with handles and I put it out on the face, the advanced Facebook group is what, you know, back when I was there and I was like, anybody want this? Someone came and got it. Yeah, no, he's great and he loves his customers, but Joel just wants to make people happy and improve people's lives. And that's what he does every day. I mean, like I saw him today on his Facebook group. He said, I'm on my lunch break. I have a little time. I'm taking Q&A questions live right now. Shoot me your questions. He's, he's super responsive. He's there. They have trainers on staff. You can do little sessions with them online. You can get telephone sessions with them where you can talk about your health concerns or what your goals are and they'll help you find the right equipment that you need. But recently, I just got their brand new under-desk elliptical. It's called the Rove. Now, they have a couple different ellipticals, but this one's different in that you can use it sitting or standing, which is important to me because sometimes I don't want to sit. 
I've sat enough. I want to get up and I want to move my body standing and get that weight bearing exercise. And so you turn it one direction to pedal under the desk and then you can pull it out and you flip it the other direction and you can stand up on it and it's a standing elliptical at that point. So it has eight tension levels and you can actually adjust even the angle of the pedals and it's got a timer on it It, and it's super affordable. You guys, it's like right around, don't quote me. It's right around $150. It's either like 149 or 159, super affordable for a portable piece of workout equipment. You can uh, go directly to their website and use the code life lessons at checkout to save 10% and it helps support the podcast. Or you can go to the lifelessonscommunity.com and go to the shop with us tab and just click on the link for Life Pro. They have so many amazing products. You cannot go wrong. Yep, and the discount works for any of them, not just the elliptical. Very cool. So next we have a segment that we call our listener-led lesson. It might be a life hack, a book recommendation, a special recipe, a kitchen tip, or anything along those lines. Today we have a book suggestion by Eva in Canada. And she wants to recommend the book Untamed by Glennon Doyle to everyone listening. She wrote, I really loved this book, and I was really touched by the authenticity of the writing and how inspiring it was in helping people to finally be their true self. I love that anyone can relate at some point in this book with the struggles we all experience at some point in our lives. One description of the book states, it is the story of how each of us can begin to trust ourselves enough to set boundaries make peace with our bodies, honor our anger and heartbreak, and unleash our truest, wildest instincts so that we become women who can finally look at ourselves and say, there she is. Have you read that book yet, Sherry? I have not. Have you? I haven't read the book, and I am surprised thinking back because, you know, I have followed Glenn Doyle for a while and and read her blog posts early on. One of her blog posts, like, changed my life. It was one that she wrote about Basically, I can't remember the title of it, but the the gist of it was don't listen to your critics and don't let them get in your head. And she was talking to somebody who was an artist and had a website. And every time someone said something negative about her art, she would go and defend it or like make a, a comment. And so she said, no, when you put something out into the world, and this spoke to me as a writer and a podcaster, when you put something out into the world, It is not your job to babysit it and follow it around the world and care for it. You put it out into the world, and that is your part. And then what people do with it is their part, and not everyone is going to like it. And that was the day I stopped reading negative reviews and realized I don't need to babysit my books and my podcasts out in the world. Some people are not going to like me. They're not going to like my books. They're not going to like my podcasts. And it's okay. I don't have to babysit it. The right people will find it. And that just really changed my life and made me realize, you know, I'm just going to do it and I'm going to do it bravely. That's a powerful shift. It was a powerful shift because prior to that, I would read them and I'd be like, oh, no. And I'm early on, I actually made a, some comments back on Amazon to people, you know, like when they would leave something negative, I'd be like, you know, trying to defend it or something. And I'm like, wait, I don't need to do that. At the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener. Today's quote comes from Paulina in England. The quote is, kindness is the thread that holds the fabric of life together. Uh, It's by Dr. David Hamilton, who has written many books, including a little gem called The Little Book of Kindness. 
And hello, Paulina. She's in our DDD community. I know who she is. Oh, fabulous. When I was reading it, I didn't even think of, I just randomly pull quotes that listeners submit. I put it on here, but it just took me right back to Dr. Abby's conversation earlier about how our interactions and and how we treat others with kindness spreads. And it just goes with that. Kindness is the thread that holds the fabric of life together. So listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. There are a lot of things I want you to do today. First of all, pre-order Cleanish. Go ahead and get it so that you're ready for our January 5th book study that's going to be beginning then. You can also join the um, jenstevens.com slash community. Join the DDD community so we can have more in-depth discussions. Also join our Facebook community. It's called Life Lessons with Jen and Sherry. I'm not there, but Sherry is, and the community is amazing. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, and we would love for you to leave a review on iTunes so that we can reach others. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you want to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com and then listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.